Hey now, it's Steve Seavers for Bionic Buzz. Welcome to Lucky 13, number episode that is, of the Bionic Buzz Celebrity Interview Podcast. And 13 is a great number. Today, our episode is jam-packed. Some great stuff. Uh, this is definitely going to be the best episode. We're going to kick things off with a review of Bill and Ted Face the Music. Yes, the third movie. I got to see an advanced screening of it. And here's my spoiler-free review of why you should see this most excellent movie. Hey now, it's Steve Severs from Bionic Buzz. I was able to scream Bill and Ted face the music, and I'm here with my buddy, Mr. Robot Voice Guy, from Bionic Buzz Weekly Podcast, to tell you why you must see this excellent movie. Hello, everyone. This movie is a lot of fun. The chemistry between Mr. Winters and Reeves is just where they left off back in 1991 from their bogus journey. For you diehard Bill and Ted fans, there's a lot of fun references to the other two movies. But you don't need to have seen the other two movies to understand what is going on. There's a lot of fun moments for Bill and Ted interacting with their future selves, and I was laughing so hard during the couple therapy scene. But actually, the best part of the movie is the performances of Bill and Ted's daughters. That's right, Steve. Actress, Tamara Weaving, plays Bill's offspring, Thea while Bridget Lundy Payne is Ted's kid, Billy. Yes, they were so good. It was fun watching them form this ultimate team of musicians throughout the history. I must say, the performance of Anthony Kerrigan of the robot in this movie was Oscar-worthy. Of course you would say that, Mr. Robot Voice Guy. Anyway, this movie is a lot of fun, with a lot of heart, and I highly recommend it. I just want to thank Orion Pictures for releasing it now with so many summer blockbusters getting pushed back. And lastly, I must say, be excellent to each other. And party on dudes. All right, well, we're going to move to another movie. It's a documentary about David Arquette's redemption of being a wrestler. And if you didn't know, back in the day, I think it was 1999, there was a movie called Ready to Rumble that he starred in, and it starred a lot of WCW uh, wrestlers and kind of settled around uh, WCW. I am the law. That was one of his lines from the movie. Uh, anyway, so to promote the movie, they actually had him on Nitro become the WCW Heavyweight Championship. And to me, I thought it was cool. I know I'm a minority there. It was cool promotion, promote it. Um, but a lot of people, especially diehard wrestling fan, really hated it. And he actually did came back and became a quote professional wrestler by kind of working the underground circuits. And you get to see his journey uh, throughout this documentary. It's called "You Cannot Kill David Arquette." It's interview with the two directors, and then it's going straight into the interview with David Arquette. And it's available now in select drive-in theaters around the country. It's going to be available on VOD August 28th. So take it away, Robot Voice Guy. Oh, before that, actually, wasn't it funny having Robot Voice Guy in my uh, review? He actually jumped from uh, podcast to uh, YouTube. Ha! Okay, take it away, Robot Voice Guy. Interview with the cast of the documentary, You Cannot Kill David Arquette. First up is directors, David Darg and Price James. Then interview with actor and wrestler David Arquette. All right, well, like congratulations, guys. The documentary was uh, so amazing. Cheers, dude. I like your um, belt. 
So yeah, that's that's the only thing I could get at uh, a Walmart. All the all the figures are sold out. <laughs> Dude, you're packing a fine strap there. Um, so I just want to know um, the timetable for this because when did you start shooting this, and when did he start really like trading and stuff? Because I've been like following his uh, quote wrestling career for a while, you know. Well, we we started in April two thousand and eighteen, and. He had already decided to get back into it. He was like skirting around some of the indie scenes and um, some of some of the sort of WrestleMania events. Yeah. Then we basically pitched our approach, and we we were greenlit within like three days. We, we were just like, okay, let's start, let's start it, let's start the backstory, let's start the health problems because we knew there was lots of health problems. He was overweight, and um, yeah, it went on for pretty much two years, and he's still in it now. You know. Very nice. I, I, I always fell for him. And I, I, and cause to me, like if I was in David's shoes back in 1999, I would have taken the world championship belt also. And I kind of liked that how DDP like mentioned that, like, you know, most fans who complain about it were like, would have done the same thing. You know, it's like, I mean, and then, you know, obviously WWE kind of repeated that with the tag team championship of kid, you know, I didn't realize how much that had really affected him, you know, like it really strained on him, which really like, kind of really put this whole storyline together for this documentary, you know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it was such an emotional drain on him, especially as an actor too. I mean, the irony that an actor had gone in and acted perfectly to get the belt and then was just split, spit on, like fans would spit on David if you went to a wrestling match. Like he was that vilified in the wrestling world. It was just ridiculous. And so there's so much kitsch humor to it, but there is a genuine like search for redemption that he's always had. And so he wanted to do this, you know, like it wasn't just for redemption in the wrestling world. Like he was in a really bad place when we started the project. He, he was like way overweight and suffering from a lot of different issues. And so he needed to go on this journey for redemption, but also as a journey of reinvention for himself. And so there's that beautiful parallel storyline in the film between the humor of wrestling and the tragedy of what he's gone through in life. Yeah, it's also like, you know, to be a heel, is, which is what he kind of became, you know, he became a scapegoat and a heel in wrestling. But for someone who wasn't really from wrestling, to have that venom, like, attacked at you, know, to, have, to be attacked with that real venom, and you're not used to it, and you're a sensitive artist, really. He's like, you know, he's a, he's a kind of, uh, yeah. like a Renaissance man savant, right? And he's a sensitive guy, and he has health problems, mental problems, you know, a lot of artists do. And so to have that attack, literally for 20 years. I mean, this is the reality of the story. So then to try and overcome that was so, so important. Yeah, absolutely. I really loved uh, when they went down to Mexico to uh, train. And uh, who would have thought there was this thing called street wrestling when there's a red light? Why is this not at every stoplight in America? Because I would gladly pay for that. Yeah, definitely health and and safety Americano. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you're trying to think about that. So is that a big thing down there? Like, uh, that was really cool, you know? No, I wouldn't say a big yeah. thing, but it's definitely a thing. We, um, that was a niche we totally found. We that was kind of given to us from the luchas that we had approached, like uh, Dog and his um, one of his fixers found these incredible luchadors who were like, "Yeah, come on, we'll we'll put you through your paces. We'll break you. We'll make you sweat. We're gonna we don't care. You're a, a Hollywood star. We're gonna treat you like a normal a normal trainee lucha." So then they were like, "Do you want to come and see some?" Some street wrestling, we we're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and like, but then obviously we didn't know we were gonna lose our lives. We were like in the middle of like eight lanes of traffic. Like, you know, just like, like a Tony Scott film from the 90s, just chaos and like, you know, police driving past 
and it was just kind of guerrilla and uh I, it was one of the best sequences in the whole film. Yeah, I can only imagine. It was really hard to like film that whole sequence. <laughs> it was wild, man. It yeah. was wild. But yeah, I mean, talk about stripping him down to bare bones. That was sort of the start of David's humility, right? So he approached it like, I'm going to get back into it. And he started training and everything. But then the luchas like tore him down. And I mean, the, those guys re wrestling on the street were basically doing it almost as beggars. Like they'd perform, they'd do street performances, and then they'd go beg. And so Dave, we had David Arquette like begging on the streets of Mexico. So he like had to go to that low to then uh, build yeah, himself back up. Yeah, it was sad up. when no one was giving him anything the first time to then like, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh my totally. God. Yeah, there's a, guy, there's a guy who just like high fives him and psychs him out. And like, this is, yeah. you, know, you couldn't, you could, you, you could write it, but you couldn't, you didn't think it would actually happen. It was like, it just happened in the moment. It was kind of amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, the last time I interviewed David, I think it was back in May 2019 at the George Lopez Celebrity Golf Carpet, uh, red carpet for that event. And he was talking about he had an upcoming match with uh, Peter Avalon, I guess, who he talked about how much he meant to him as a trainer. So it was cool to actually see Peter trained him in this and actually they built a ring in his backyard and the pressure is david's wife is like we own this like, you know, like yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah no he took it seriously and for us you know like that was exciting because as filmmakers he came to us with an idea and we loved what the idea had the potential to be but we're nervous like okay you're super overweight and you've not got a great track record at like completing stuff uh yeah. are you actually going to do this and so we start the cameras rolling and then to see him actually commit lose the weight learn the moves like conquer his demons it was like super exciting for us to follow it and i think the, the film captures that energy of like evolution you're seeing this guy reinvent himself you're seeing his family go from like not believing in in him to like just like being so excited for him and so like it's a really beautiful journey i love it um, I'm a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan, and there was a moment where Billy Corgan was in the ring with uh, David. It looks like they were shaving someone's head. I assume it was an NWA event because Billy owns that. Where where was that was. at? That was in Nashville. And, yeah, Price and I are both huge Pumpkins fans, and the only reason we made this film is because there was a potentially off chance that we get to meet Billy, and it turned out that we did. So oh, <laughs> everything that's worked awesome. out great. <laughs> yeah, Billy and Jake the Snake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was cool to see uh, DDP, that beautiful cinematography with him. Like, I guess it was like a rainforest beach. He was doing yoga over in Mexico. You know, yeah. mentioned that he obviously the, the, the yoga worked for David and you mentioned Jake the Snake. So it was cool to see that aspect and do it. You know, talk about working with DDP. He's like so nice. No, he's a sweetheart. Yeah. yeah. No, he has that whole thing now. DDP yoga is his like brand right now. And he's like helping people with all sorts of you know, weight issues and health issues through that. And so it was natural for David, obviously, to go to DDP since they were partners in the WWE, WCW. WCW, yeah, in the movie. Um, but yeah, it's just so cool to see them like reunited and laughing about the good old days. And obviously DDP, like, he took on some of the burden of David's pain because he knew he was partly responsible having been part of the storyline. Yeah. And so for him to mentor David back into the, and get back into it was a really sweet and yeah. special and it, part and it of was, the film. It was like, and it perfectly played into the sort of, you know, the, some of the sort of retro sports action movie tropes, you know, like the sort of, uh, like the, the Miyagi and Karate Kid on the beach. It's the same score as used in Karate Kid. So it's, oh, you know, really? there's a lot of nods to, all of our favorite kind of movies of that time, you know, the learning from the guru and like who better a guru than DDP. 
No, honestly, I started doing yoga because of DDP. I mean, like, I, I always thought it was more of something else, but, you know, I've... You have to call it DDP yoga or he gets really offended. <laughs> <laughs> DDP yoga, sorry. <laughs> Don't want to get covered. Yeah, he's like, he stepped up to me a few times. I'm like, yeah, yeah, so are you going to do yoga today? He's like, DDP yoga, yoga. <laughs> um i i had no idea david was a really close friends with luke perry and luke perry was with him during a famous you know death match that they get to see actually took him to david to the hospital and obviously you know relationship with jungle boy was cool to see that in his documentary yeah they grew up together pretty much like luke was close friends with david's family his sisters and luke actually lived with the arquettes when they were younger when he was doing 90210 so they're really close and obviously luke passed away sadly during the production of the film yeah. and so plays into the storyline and and really sent david on a on a downward spiral and, at one point you know and like that just shows how sensitive you know you don't have to be sensitive to mourn the loss of a good friend but anything can trigger david and, and it was a really tough moment um during the production and during that moment in his life and you see it play out in just like sort of a really difficult time that almost contributes to the, the loss of his marriage and everything and so it was a tough it was a tough time for everyone as filmmakers we also grown very close to david too so for us to yeah. see him you know get a lot of physical abuse in the ring and also mental abuse and uh, outside of the ring was tough on us to see him go through that as well very cool um I think the ultimate promotion for this, and I guess it's probably depends how well this documentary does, is to have David challenge Cody for the TNT championship just for the one one-off match. I don't know if that's ever possible or not. Or there's it, been any, murmurs any about time wrestling for this movie at all, or no, there's been murmurs. You know, actually, we wanted Cody to be in the film at one point, and we were talking to those guys about the potential of him being the, the end fight, you know, instead of Mr. Anderson, who turned out to be an incredible opponent. Oh, yeah, that um, was great. But it, but it happened right as Cody got injured. Um, oh, so it didn't work yeah. out, but Cody would have been amazing. What a villain, you know? Oh, exactly, yeah. yeah. We, saw, we saw him in his Chicago match when he came out and ripped his shirt and he had wolves. We were like, dude, that's the best end fight character you could ever wish for. But, uh, <laughs> oh, look at your background. <laughs> well, very cool. Uh, this movie, if you're a diehard wrestling fan, you'll love this documentary. Even if you're just a film fan, documentary fan, you probably just know who David Arquette is. You're going to love his story, beginning, middle, and end. You want to see his journey going forward. So congratulations, both of you guys. You did an amazing job. And I can't wait. Anything in the future you're working on you're allowed to talk about before I let you go? Fun stuff. <laughs> cool sorry, stuff. Cool stuff. All right, cool. Cool stuff. All exciting. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thank you. David, congratulations, man. Uh, your documentary, You Cannot Kill David Arquette, was so good. Thank you, bro. I appreciate you watching it. Yeah. Um, I, I was a huge WCW fan back in the day, and I, I'm one of the few people that actually thought it was cool that you became champion. I had no idea that how much that affected you after watching this, like not just, you know, mentally, but your film career too, which is kind of the basis of what this documentary redemption is all about, you know? Well, they're telling a story in the documentary. There's a lot more that goes into that story. I mean, my career, uh, you know, wasn't necessarily just affected by that. It was affected by a lot of different things. So yeah. Doing a string of really silly commercials, my off-camera antics, like stuff like that, probably had more of an effect on my career than than wrestling did. 
but it was definitely something strange. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it just became like people just not knowing who or what I am or who I am. I mean, that's part of the idea in this movie is to give people a better understanding of who I am. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think DDP like said the same thing that I always thought of. Like, if I was interested, to, anyone in that situation probably would have taken the championship if they were offered, you know. <laughs> so, um, what was it like working with uh, DDP for his uh, DDP yoga? I, I especially enjoyed the scene where you were uh, you were training with him in like the I think it was like a jungle in Mexico. It looked like a very like '80s kind of throwback, <laughs> you know. Yeah, workout. You know, it was fun. I mean, we knew he was doing this retreat, so they were gonna, you know, have us meet there. Um, I used DDPY his workout program to really uh, start start the weight loss sort of journey, mm -hmm. and it helps you get ready for the ring, and it just help, it helps your body. It's just so great for your body, and he really has a great way of inspiring me. So and inspiring everyone so that really got me on this journey so then it made sense to go see him and uh mm -hmm. along the way and i enjoyed i love Paige. he's dallas he's um he's just uh such a such a great guy <laughs> he is really just a great guy and he's inspirational beyond words mm-hmm uh, probably my favorite part, speaking while you're down in Mexico, you were trading with these, uh, um, I guess, luchadors that did street wrestling, where basically you're stopped at a red light, and uh, instead of people like begging for money, there's people going the street and do this opera like wrestling match that you were a part of. That was that was pretty crazy. I wish that was at every street corner. I understand why it's not because for safety reasons. But you know, what was it like doing that? You know, it was a trip. I didn't. I didn't really know about it. I didn't know, especially that I was supposed to do anything there. And yeah. uh, so it was kind of, I was just like, what am I doing here? <laughs> um, and then having to go ask for money, I was so like shy about it. It just, it's a, it's a whole Yeah, I thing. fell for you when like, it looks like the guy was giving you money and it was just a high five. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> poor David. Yeah, no, that kind of stuff happens so often. You don't wouldn't believe. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was a lesson I learned there is that you just have to really commit, you know, you mm -hmm. have to really go for it. You have to never uh, give up, really. Yeah. Well, uh, the last time I actually interviewed you was at the uh, George Lopez Celebrity Golf Classic, back when Red Carpets was actually a thing, you know. Right. Um, you talked about you were, had a, a match coming up with uh, Peter Avalon, I guess, who was trained you. It was cool to actually see him in this documentary training you how how long did you work with him oh i worked with him for months and months mm -hmm. first time i worked out with him i threw up <laughs> i worked out in oxnard where the they had a ring up and uh so yeah i puked the first time we worked out and then i do a you know i trained with him uh at least once or twice a week um even more a lot of the time I trained with Higan Machado for jiu-jitsu, uh, Ricky Kies for boxing, and uh, Peter Avalon for, for wrestling. So there was a lot of that, and then you have to do weights, and you have to change your diet. It's a lot of work. I, another great scene in the documentary is, I guess, when he was putting together the ring in your backyard, and I think it was your wife said, is this ours? <laughs> like, is this yours now? <laughs> yeah. Do you still have that uh, ring back there? 
I don't have the ring anymore. It's it's on to another wrestler's backyard and it's getting quite a bit of use, probably more than it got at my house. Yeah. So you just had the world premiere at a, I guess a drive-in movie theater somewhere in Los Angeles. And it was cool that, uh, you know, Jungle Boy uh, showed up for it. You know, what was it like having a, uh, a premiere at, in a drive-in movie theater? <laughs> oh man, it's great. I love drive-ins. It was great to have Peter Avalon and, and Jack Perry there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really sad my wife couldn't make it. She's in Nashville, but um, you know, I, uh, it was great. I mean, it's all weird this time period, you know, Yeah. but uh, I'm glad the film's coming out. I really just hope it provides some escape, something for someone to watch and hopefully be inspired by or try to or whatever, just have a good time with. Um, well, one thing I learned in the movie, I didn't realize that you were really good friends with Luke Perry. I know you were with Hassan, obviously working with him in bar wrestling back in the time. Um, he was actually with you during that um, your famous death match. And actually, took you to the hospital. So, you know, talk about your relationship. How long have you known Luke? Oh man, Luke moved in with us when he was uh, I was seventeen. You know, he was a couple years older. Um, he lived with us for a while, and and he's part of the family. We we all love Luke and and really miss him. Well, I love what his son's doing at AEW and Jurassic Express. Uh, I pitched this to uh, David and Price last week when I interviewed them, the directors of this documentary, that I thought a cool promotion was you to challenge Cody for the AEW TNT championships. Of course, now he's not the champion anymore. Was there any he's talk done. about who Who yeah. won the championship? I missed it. Uh, what's his name? The Dark Order leads. I forget his oh, name. Oh, right. But... Brody? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, was there any talk about doing like a one-off for AEW? You know, you got a Jungle Boy that can maybe get your foot in the door, I guess. Or are you kind of done with your wrestling days? I don't know if I'll ever wrestle again, but I love what they're doing at AEW. I always wanted to wrestle Cody. I was trying to call him out for a while there. Um, I don't know. WWE, I love their product too. I love, you know, I just love wrestling. So. I don't know if it's in my stars to do it anymore. <laughs> I'm glad it exists here. Yeah. Well, I, the documentary is amazing. Uh, it's in select drive-in theaters now. It's coming to VOD this Friday, August 28th. David, keep up the amazing work, and thank you so much for taking your time talking to me. All right. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Right. I appreciate Take it. Take care. Bye. All right, if you're definitely a diehard wrestling fan or even just a film fan in general, I highly recommend you check out the David Arquette documentary. You cannot kill David Arquette. We're going to move on to music now and this very talented young individual named Eric. He has an album coming out and he did all the instruments on it, including the both styles vocals that blew my mind. It was inspired by the COVID-19 pandemic being quarantine and it's an amazing album start to finish i got to listen to the whole thing and i love it so many great guitar riffs you're gonna learn all about in this interview he's also a music producer and a video game uh developer i guess you could say take it away mr robot voice guy interview with progressive metal musician and audio engineer eric francis hey hey how's it going How's it good huh well i got you got a guest with you, Bird, I, huh? I do. This is Frankie. She's the brains behind the band. 
No way, Frankie! Congratulations on the new album. <laughs> I, I should thank you on it. How's it going, Eric? Man, good. How about you? Oh, great! I'm so excited to talk to you because you're a very talented person, man. I mean, besides, thank you. Besides the new album, you're also a music producer and a video game creator and producer. So, yeah, the video games is a a hobby, but very nice. Uh, before we get into the new album that comes out August 28th, uh, here at Bionic Buzz, we are all about people's passion. Where did your passion for music came from and led you down this journey to being a musician and producer? Was a certain album inspired it, a live performance, or something, something that was natural for you as a child? I think it was really natural. Uh, my, dad, my dad's a musician. My grandfather was a musician. And I grew up with music, basically, since I was an infant. My dad would play guitar. He was a drummer in a band. So I, uh, I started learning instruments as early as I could hold them, really. And so I really feel it was inevitable that I'd end up doing music. Very cool. Well, let's talk about your new album, Under a Fake Sky. It comes out August 28th. Uh, you started writing this, I guess, March and went, went through July. And you definitely you perform all the instruments on this, right? And, and yes. And too? Yes. I would have guessed that it would be two different people singing in this because it's so dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, no, walk, us through, walk us through the process because obviously it's, a lot of it's very inspired by COVID-19 being stuck at home, you know, and uh, everything going on in the world. So my writing process has always been pretty chaotic. Yeah. Uh, I usually start with guitar. Guitar is definitely my strong point. Mm -hmm. But so I'll come up with a, a riff or a chord progression or something that I like. And then I just, I really go from there. Uh, lyrics are usually the hardest for me oh, and wow. coming up with vocals. But I've just, it just like, I started, I was, I started listening to a lot of music in the genre, in the similar genre before mm -hmm. I started writing and it was, what was keeping me the most calm during the pandemic and just as things kept getting worse. And then I just started writing my own things and I really wrote the kind of music I wanted to listen to, to keep myself calm. And then I found I had a lot to say when it really came down to it. Now, is it kind of like a beginning, middle, end of this album or you kind of just wrote different tracks and then kind of just put it all together at the end? A little bit of both. Uh -huh. Um, there's the biggest progression is the time I, I wrote, I wrote, recorded and mixed every song in a row. Okay. So I completed another, I completed one song entirely before I moved on to the next song. So as I, as time went on, you can kind of see how my mindset changes between yeah. July and between March and July. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, it's weird. I, I took my notes when I listened to the album and like, I was like, great guitar riff, great guitar. Great. I was like, okay, this whole album just got great guitar riffs. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think it's go, my, probably my favorite part is a song sanctuary. There's like a, a two twenty seven mm. mark where it kind of has this awesome guitar riff. And then it's got this cool little like background vocals. To it, you know? <laughs> Can you talk about like that song, you know, that aspect of it? So Sanctuary was, I think, the second song that I wrote. Okay. And that was, that song is actually 
inspired by a song that I wrote over a decade ago with the same name that never ended up being professionally recorded or ended up on any of my albums. So this, um, and I, but I liked the name and I liked the opening of that song. And so I dissected that song and I, I used that, the opening of the song where there's like the very background um, talking and the singing that's supposed to be like a telephone style. That was actually like a reference to the original version. Oh, really? That's cool. <laughs> yeah. And then I just, it's, the song's about being in quarantine. It's, yeah. it's like it, back, back in March and April when we thought it was only going to be a couple of weeks long and we just had to endure for a little while and then things would get back to normal. And it didn't. <laughs> seems like, seems like such a, such a world to go already. Yeah. Well, uh, there was a track eight, The Optimist. I guess you kind of like your singing version versus your kind of what we describe your deep screaming voice. I guess they're kind of going back and forth with each other about, you know, yeah. can we look on the bright side of now? I don't think so. You know, talk, talk about <laughs> yeah. that great track. You know? <laughs> Thank you. Um, that, that was inspired by a conversation that I had, which was basically I was venting about just everything going on and it was my mom was like you just got to look on the bright side of things and I'm like what bright side (laughs) but she's right because you have to try to find positives in your life right now otherwise you will go insane it's just it's so easy to get consumed by the negativity that's going on in the world right now so that was the inspiration of that song uh, another great lyric was from uh, track 10, Dead End, where it says, there's no going back. We'll be trapped for eternity. I was like, wow, yeah, I really feel yeah. that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we reached that point. I, I, I don't know. Is there really going to, are we going to go back to normal exactly how it was? We don't know. You know? It's like we can hope, you know. <laughs> uh, I really hope so. Some some things, I think, I hope I hope a few things we take from this and learn from them but i hope life gets back to the way it used to be before the pandemic yeah i miss going to concerts man well what was the last concert you went to before the shutdown Uh, or even you just performing even um my last performance was an acoustic set that i did back in summer of last year uh after my after the summer i got really I got really busy with, um, I was finishing up school and music music production and writing a new album, my last album, Full Circle. Yeah. Uh, so then I took a break from performing and I never would have thought that it was like, I would have never thought that that last show was going to be the last show that I would <laughs> do for a, a long time. Yeah. Um, I, I don't remember what my last concert is. Jeez. So long ago. Uh, my last, um, the last event that I went to, though, was um, a Burt Kreischer stand-up show, like a week before shutdown in back in March. Uh, that must have been fun. It was. We were oh, all joking God. about. He was. He actually joked about COVID and about how we were all probably going to die. And <laughs> next thing we know, we're all stuck at home. Right on, man. Um, so what's the? You got the album coming out August twenty eighth. Is there going to be like? I, I, there's no way acoustic versions, live performance or music videos. I don't, I mean, we can't do anything live now. And obviously the band's just you, you know? Um, so I'm thinking about that. Um, 
I might do a music video at some point, not to correspond with the album release, but okay. down the road. Yeah. Um, and if I can't do a outside and with producers and everything, I'll probably do a playthrough video of a song. Just have have a, I've been doing little snippets on my Instagram, uh, oh, where cool. it's just my webcam and I'm just playing guitar and I could do, I have an electronic drum set right back there. Oh, nice. I could just like line up different screens of, of me singing and screaming and playing guitar and, and bass. Well, yeah, that's and, been like um, the uh, quarantine jam has been popular now with different musicians doing cover yeah. stuff. It could just be all you, you know, <laughs> why not? That's, yeah. I might do something like that. What, what song um, would you do if you had to pick one? Either um, track six, recurring failure, or maybe track eight, The Optimist. Yeah. I, like, I like The Optimist. So that'll be my vote. Thanks. <laughs> or do both. Why not? You know, if you have time. You know? <laughs> I, I do have time right now. <laughs> but one, one thing with the album I am definitely doing is I'm going to be releasing an instrumental version of the album oh, probably cool. sometime in September. So mm -hmm. I, since I mixed everything myself, I'm cutting all the vocals out and remixing it, mm -hmm. and I'm going to release another version of the album in that way very cool well i, I want to chat about the other stuff real quickly uh your music producer you worked with a lot of different artists from folk to emo to pop punk you name it and so how do you find the, how do these artists find you and like what do you bring to the table i guess with these different styles you know well i'm not gonna lie i'm pretty new i just i just finished school and a lot of what i was doing was with <laughs> my friends and and the band that I used to be in before, okay, uh, maybe well, later. What we band did, were you in before? And I didn't. I was in a, a band called Maybe Later. Oh, we okay. were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought you make talk about something else. Oh no, yeah, we were. <laughs> maybe we were together I'll tell from, you later. Oh, okay, that's the name <laughs> of the band. <laughs> we were together from 2016 to 2019, nice. and uh, I produced I produced our our latest EP that came out right before we broke up, and then. Uh -huh. uh, you know, it was a lot of just experimenting, doing a lot, doing my own stuff. I don't just do the metal. I, I play around with different genres. Oh, uh, cool. A good friend of mine from the band, he's got his own solo project. It goes by the the other Alex. Mm -hmm. And I uh, I produce his stuff, his newest stuff. So. All right. I, I got I to ask one question about the video game thing. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I know you said it was a hobby, but... You did one called the two, was it morons or something like that? It was the, like the, worst. the two moons. Oh, two moons. Yes. Uh, the worst RPG game maker game ever. It was a dumb. Yes. Now, is that was that just uh, on purpose or just why making it? Is like this sucks. I'm just gonna put make it out <laughs> purposely. So it was on purpose. Uh, um, it's actually it's a satire of my own experience of being a video game developer, which when I first started, I was like 12 years old, 13 years old. And I had wow. a, a program called RPG maker 2000 mm -hmm. that my friend showed me. And there's like, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And I just put together a game and there's no plot. There's no consistency you would t you talk to a chicken to teleport to another place i didn't know anything <laughs> about i didn't know anything about like game design at all yeah. so this this game is a satire of the experience of creating a game from somebody that has no idea what they're doing but 
I have 15 years of experience creating games, so it is a coherent game that you can play from start to finish that makes sense, but it's deliberately designed to be like broken and confusing and just <laughs> silly. That. You ever thought about making like a game that ties into like Under a Fake Sky album or any of your music or anything or? I, um, so actually um, my second album, A Perfect Moment is songs that are reference one of my older games, which was uh, I Code The World of Infinity. Oh, wow. So that album is actually a concept album about that game. Wow, very cool. Uh, I um, So I have written about fantasy before, but I don't think that this particular album would really... Yeah, because you'd just be inside the whole time. There's no point. Yeah. <laughs> What's the object of the game? It's like, <laughs> okay, should I go into the other room or stay in this room? <laughs> it was one, one of those... It would be one of those games that's like very meta where you're just... <laughs> a person dealing with their insanity and trying to stave it off actually be kind of cool actually <laughs> it'd be kind of funny the same way yeah because there's nothing really to do but you know where can uh, people stay up to date website and social media wise with you okay uh i'm on facebook and instagram and twitter uh all eric francis rock so eric francis my name and rock and i have a website also ericfrancisrock.com that has links to all my albums and links to all the streaming services you can find them on. All right, Eric, thank you so much for your time and talk to me. And everyone, check out Under a Fake Sky, August 28th, wherever music is sold or streamed. Thank you so much for having me. All right, we took a brief music break, and now we're going to go back to the movies and a new romantic comedy movie called In Other Words. And we're going to talk to the team that brought it together. She's the writer and producer, and he directed and produced it also. And they own their own production company together. And they got some fun stuff in the work. This movie is a lot of fun. It comes out September 8th. And this is going to be our last uh, interview for the podcast. I know, I know, no throwback interviews, but I don't want this podcast episode to be too long. Hey, it's episode 13 too, so unlucky, no throwbacks. Sorry. But you can always watch all these interviews on our website, bionicbuzz.com, or go straight to our YouTube page, Bionic Buzz on YouTube. That's it. And on all social media, you guessed it, Bionic Buzz. Thanks you again for whoever you're listening. New episodes of Bionic Buzz Celebrity Interview Podcast every Thursday. Stay safe, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Interview with filmmakers Patrick Perez Vidori and Christina Nava from the romantic comedy film. In other words, where did your passion for uh, filmmaking kind of come from? Was a certain uh, performance inspired it or something that came natural for you? Well, uh, for me, it started early. I, I, um, I was in all the school plays as a kid. I grew up here in Southern California mm -hmm. and I actually went to school with um, Fergie, who back then was known as Stacy Ferguson. Oh, really? Wow. I was, yeah. I was in a play. And she was in it as well. And her agent approached my mom and said, that kid should be in, in movies. That kid should be in commercials. And so from there, my mom's like, all right. So she started taking me to auditions and acting classes and stuff like that. And I caught the bug early. But um, for me, it was, a, it was a matter. My parents had to be on set when I was, uh, you know, if I got cast. And I had uh, three brothers. And I felt selfish, like taking my 
my parents away from the rest of my family for for my career. So I kind of gave it up. I, I just said, you know what, it's it's fine. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. But I always had the passion to be in uh, film and movies and to create film and movies. My brothers and I used to run around the house making videos with our old uh, VCR, you know, movie camera on our shoulder, and uh, we made a bunch of funny, um, you know, music videos and and short short films and stuff like that so it's always been a passion of mine and uh once i graduated from college i decided to give it a shot and i, I thought it was you know i gave myself like what i say i said i'm gonna give myself two years and if something if nothing happens i'm gonna quit and you know it's now 20 plus years later and i, and I haven't quit so oh, very inspiring very cool <laughs> Uh, for me, I guess uh, growing up, like I, I always wanted to perform too, but um, I didn't have very many opportunities to do so. But I did, I would, you know, I watched programs and uh, movies and I, I aspired. And again, like Patrick, it kind of started through acting. Um, but the writing, I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to, be, I always wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a, like a novelist, an author. But um, then when I started acting, I also started writing plays. And then, um, and then I, in about 2006, I made a conscious, no, uh, 2003, yeah, I made a conscious effort to move from plays, theater, into television and film. And so I just started auditioning, um, I tried to get an agent, you know, I went the whole, through that whole route, but I started noticing the kind of um, roles that were available for, say, uh, a Latina was like the maid or the whore or, you know, whatnot. And um, nothing that you could bring home to your mommy and dad. So yeah. a lot of hookers with the heart of gold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, so I just started writing more and doing short films. And then, um, and then from there, just making um, connections. A lot, of, uh, uh, I had a background at UCLA in, in literature, but I had to learn a new format. So I, I learned the new format and, and so from there, um, you know, I just kept, I kept it up. And so here we are, I, I met Patrick along the way and we've continued it. We guys both made a movie together called In Other Words as a producer, director and writer. It's about a romantic comedy, tech geek, it called, um, which I can relate to, who has trouble talking to girls, you know? And he finally uses this app and meets a beautiful girl, but she speaks Spanish and he doesn't. So they end up going on this trip down to Mexico. It's a very unique story. What was the kind of inspiration, I guess, Christina, first for writing this? So the inspiration was actually um, our friend Ruben Islas, who is our business partner now. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, we, we met, you know, here in L.A. And then he just called uh, Patrick one time and he was like, hey, I want to make a movie. And I want to make a romantic comedy. It was very specific. And it was um, a story that he had heard uh, from his friends about his friend going over to um, France. He sold his company and he went over to France to find love. And he meets this girl who only spoke French and Greek and he only spoke English. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So back then he's trying to court her, but he has to court her with like, you know, this like humongous translation dictionary. And so... Uh, I went and I interviewed, uh, I interviewed them and, um, and then, so we, our business partner said, well, I want to go, I want this story to take place in Valle de Guadalupe. And that is a wine country um, in Baja. 
Mm-hmm. And we had never been there. So Ruben invited us to go there. And the story just started to unfold. The characters started to come alive. Like uh, Karina, who's a sous chef, was inspired by the chef at Trasulamita down there. And I, I was blown away because we've both been to Baja, but I never knew about uh, Valle de Guadalupe, which is, it's been there even before Napa. Oh, wow. Right? It has a beautiful backdrop for the movie too. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. I mean. However, yeah. we didn't actually shoot there. Oh, really? All oh, the power <laughs> <No>. of the color. <laughs> Once we started getting into production, we realized it was gonna be too expensive to, to take the whole cast and crew south of the border. Uh-huh. And so we, like, we're, the, the production almost fizzled until I found a winery in Malibu, California that let us shoot there for a very reasonable price. And that's what saved our movie. So the whole thing, we, we pretend that, you know, we have shots of them crossing the border, but that's just a, uh, you know, that's just the car crossing the border. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we shot it all in Malibu. So that's, that's where the film was actually shot. Oh, very cool. Well, it's cool to support local, though. Nice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. everyone got yeah. to go home at night in their own beds, and, you know, so it worked out. Yeah. Very cool. Um, what was it like working with uh, Chris Kattan, you know, from SNL? I mean, he's so good. Well, awesome. he was awesome, and it was so much fun to work with him, especially his improvisational skills. We kind of wrote the script with, with uh, room for improv. We knew that there was going to be – we wanted one of the SNL alumni to, to fill the role of Maximilian, who is – uh the kind of the steve jobs character uh that they're pitching their app to uh so the boys are pitching their app to to chris Catan, who plays maximilian mm-hmm. and so he just added so much fun and funny stuff and um you know we, we we came up with things right on set um for them to do that he just embraced wacky ideas that we had we had one scene where he, he plays a germaphobic guy you know who's <laughs> Kind of like Howard Hughes, you know, he's really rich and real germaphobic, and uh, so his the app um, matched him because he he he's germaphobic, so it matched him with a cleaning lady. <laughs> so in the thing in the movie, uh, we were like, oh man, we want her to make out with this cleaning lady, but how do we do it if he's germaphobic? Yeah, so we came up with the yeah, came up with the idea of saran wrap. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> and he was, I was like, are you down? Are you willing to do this? He's like, yeah. <laughs> they went all out. Tongues tongues went wild through the saran wrap. Oh, is, it's kind of funny now with COVID-19, though. I feel like that's how people probably make out with strangers, you know? <laughs> We're hoping to start a trend. Uh, yeah, yeah. We call it the saran wrap kiss. <laughs> well, how'd you find the rest of the cast in this movie? So Eddie Ganem, who plays uh, Karina, uh, actually, we worked with her on our first movie, Lola's Love Shack. And go. so we kept in, t- uh, in touch with Eddie as, you know, uh, followed her career and when we were writing the, the, the movie, when I was writing the movie, we, we, uh, we definitely kept her in mind. Like she just is so natural and down to earth. And- um, We got um, Renee Victor from Coco to be the, uh, the woman that owns the winery. She, um, she's been in tons of stuff, including Vita on Stars. And then we have like a uh, Latino legendary actor, uh, Enrique Castillo, who was in Blood out, blood in, blood, blood out, out, and uh, American Me, and all these gangster films. For the first time, he's playing like a kindly, nice, 
old guy, you know. <laughs> He's so, probably like, finally. <laughs> He's also in Weeds, Weeds as, as, a, as an mafia. assassin. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so this is the first role where he's not like murdering he's somebody. The gentle <laughs> vintner. But uh, then we got um, Joe Nunez, who's uh, been in tons of stuff. He's been in Tony Scott movie. Uh, he was in Domino. He's been in tons of comedic plays, uh, comedic stuff. He was uh, regular on on um, on uh, Conan O'Brien show, and he's been a friend of ours for many years. So he was also in, in our first film. Uh, and so we cast him as one of the buddies that that his lawyer, uh, True Andrews lawyer. Then the lead, True True Andrews, was was the toughest one. Um, you know, we didn't have a big budget to get a big name actor, but we needed someone with the chops. And so we really uh, combed. You know, we did a lot of auditioning. And mm -hmm. Brian McClure. Um, he was a recommendation from my manager, Sandra Avila. Yeah. She had worked with him before, and she really loved him. And he read for us, and we were like. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And without his like personal charm and this movie would have fell apart. So it's crazy. Totally. Yeah. Because and he also was like you like I don't know, you said you could identify. He says, I actually do have trouble talking to girls. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so he kind of set off his own experience, I guess. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well this movie uh was coming out what digitally September eighth, right? Yeah, Correct. on all digital platforms, also um cable, uh in in demand, on demand. Yeah, it'll be in the in when you go into uh, uh, now showing uh, when you want to look at what's going on, uh, what movie you're going to order that night. It'll be on demand starting September eighth. Very cool, and it's also coming to HBO Latino. I think February twenty twenty one. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, February. We're very proud that uh, HBO uh, expressed the interest and picked it up, and uh, excited that that it'll be on HBO Latino in February. Oh, that's amazing. Well, it, it's 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 a big journey being an independent filmmaker. So congratulations, both of you, putting this together. The movie's amazing. And we can't wait to talk about Any future stuff coming up we're allowed to know about? Well, we have a few uh, projects in the works. One of them uh, is called Like, Share, Kill, which now this is a thriller. And it's about um, uh, the international uh, proliferation of fake news and how that make, creates hatred and anger and it leads to murder. Oh, absolutely. Uh, extremely excited because this, this story kind of ties the world together, um, you know, uh, through, through the way fake news travels. So we're following three different stories uh, that intertwine tragically. Oh, well, it's a story that has to be told right now with everything going on, you know? <laughs> yeah, we can't wait. Yeah. We're very excited. And we got, uh, you know, our, our, our executive producer, um, Grandabe Capital, has uh, greenlit this one, and we got a three-picture deal. So... Uh, we have, in other words, it's coming out now. Uh, Lecture Killed, it's in the works, and one more film to be to be announced that we're going to be making with Rondavi Capital. Very cool. Where could people stay up to date with your journey going forward? Is there a website or social media wise if we can stay in touch? Yeah, it's uh, lux lux3pictures.org. They can go on the website and they can contact I'm, us there. I'm at Pat Perez World on Instagram. Um, and uh, I am Christina Nava. And there's also, in other words, uh, on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, but yeah, lux3pictures.org. They can, can follow us or, I mean, uh, reach out, reach follow out us. Follow. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much. Take your time to talk to me. And we'll talk down the road in future projects, all right? Sounds yeah, good. definitely. All Thank right. you for having us.